Okay, so anyone who knows me, and honestly, at this point, anyone who listens to the podcast, because I guess we've just (laughs) gotten real close around here, knows that I do not wear bras. And like, that's not some sort of an over-exaggeration. You can ask any of my friends. I truly do not ever wear bras. However, there have recently been some circumstances where like, I just have to. I've been saying yes to more things. I feel like we've been going to more events and there are just some outfits. I got to do it. And when I tell you I have finally found a bra that makes wearing one bearable. Like I'm never going to be an everyday bra wearer. It's not in the cars for me. But when I have to, the only bras I can wear are skims, which I'll get into the specific ones in a second, but we all know this comes as no surprise. Like I have been an OG diehard skims fan since day one. I am a fan of every single product they make. You know the way I feel about the underwear, the clothes, all of it. But now adding bras to the mix, specifically the Fits Everybody t-shirt bra, because You guys know the way I feel about the Fits Everybody collection. I could talk about that for forever, but specifically the t-shirt bra, it's just so comfortable. I don't know, the straps don't dig into you. It's probably the only bra I've ever worn where when I get home, I'm not like dying to take it off, which I cannot express how massive of a feat that is for someone like me. It's just comfortable and it just does what it needs to do. And I am such a fan, which like no surprise, I love everything Skims makes, but here to confirm the bras are as good as you would think that they are. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A through 46H. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Julie. And welcome to another episode of our Kardashian bonus show. Hey, Jewel. I am. I feel like it's been a while since I've said welcome to another episode of our Kardashian bonus show because... We've been doing so many midweek updates. I know. It feels nice to be back doing these though. It does. Although I love myself a midweek update when I feel confident that we'll still have enough content for the next week. But I got to tell you, I love these old episodes as much, if not more than the next guy, but I am ready for some new shit, Julie. I am beyond ready for the new stuff. I mean, also, we kind of know the behind the scenes of what we're maybe going to get. We don't know for sure. And all of that stuff is things that I am overwhelmingly interested in seeing play out behind the scenes on top of the fact that we literally just don't even know what the show is going to look like because it's on Hulu now. So there's so many things that I'm just like sitting with anticipation for. And the other thing is that when Chloe was on Ellen, whenever that was, let's say a month or so ago, she was talking about you know the show and she said that the air date was sometime in January. It wasn't 100% definite, but that's kind of what she had mentioned. And then recently, maybe last week, there was a blind on Dumois that said April 7th. And I think that there was a later a follow-up story to that saying that's untrue. So obviously I want to believe that it's in January. I just kind of feel like if it were, they would have started promo, but we could say this and then tomorrow could be the first promo. So I don't know. I'm hopeful about January, but it feels more like February. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not feeling great about January. I mean, also there's nothing. It's like radio silence. We got that first initial day of like first day of filming and then it's been nothing. I know, which must be intentional, I guess. I know they give me trust issues though. Like I just like, just give it to me. Just tell me exactly when you're starting, exactly when I can expect it, exactly what the show is going to look like. Like enough. I I can't wait anymore. I know. I know. It's also crazy because in these episodes that we're about to discuss, it's really at the height of, you know, Courtney and Scott trying to figure it out. And I know I'm really jumping ahead, but in the last scene of the second episode is when 
Courtney basically leaves Scott in Miami and she leaves with Mason and you see Scott, he's crying, he's incredibly emotional. And I finished that episode and I went on here to start recording with you. And as we're like talking before we start is when Scott posts the story of him, Mason, P and Rain lighting the Hanukkah candles. And it's like just crazy to watch that, you know, in the course of 30 seconds, the two complete opposite ends of the spectrum that Scott was on. Scott knew he had to do something like post a story of them celebrating Hanukkah in order to make me go easy on him in this episode. He was so hard to defend here. I know. And the sick thing is that like somehow I'll find a way. You will find a way. Of course you will. But you know, should we just get into it? Because I like have a million things to say. Yeah. Let's just get into it. Okay. We're kind of going to go scene by scene, but not really because I just want to talk about it. Is that okay with you? I'm more than fine with me. (laughs) So just to refresh everyone's memory, since we haven't been doing these type of recaps in a few weeks, we're on Courtney and Chloe Take Miami season two, episodes nine and 10. 10 is the finale. And, you know, we kind of left it off when Scott punched the mirror. And when we come into this episode, Courtney has not seen him since. So Chloe gets back down to Miami and she's kind of just talking to Courtney about kind of what's going through her mind. And I I don't know, tell me what you think about this. I don't want to say Courtney was still in a state of shock because I do think the shock has worn off, but I think that she was still a little bit numb. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, you watch her really process her emotions in real time in this episode. And I think up until Chloe got there and up until she started to really get into things with Scott and what they were going to do in the aftermath of the punch is really, I think the first time when she's really sat down and felt her emotions. And up until now, I think she was kind of blocking all of that out and really focusing on Mason and not on herself. Completely. And in this next scene is when Scott's calling her and she answers. And he was saying, you know, I expected to get your voicemail. And they basically have this conversation where she stands firm in the fact that she's not going to see him right now. And she wants to be supportive because she knows that he really does need to get help, but she also doesn't want to enable him. And this to me was one of the most telling lines when he says in his confessional, in the past, no matter how big the fight was, I was always able to at least convince Courtney to see me. This time it's just different. And I fully believe that that is the case in terms of, think about how much we have spoken about. One of Scott's talents was these like elaborate apologies that really kind of reeled Courtney back in. And I think this was the first time that she was giving him almost like a tangible consequence. And I hate to use that word because, you know, it's, (laughs) it really does feel as though she's the parent in the situation, but that's kind of what was going on here. No, that's absolutely it. One of the things that we've always said when we've spoken about Scott as we've watched him through these seasons is like, it's not just that he's good at bullshitting an apology. It's that the reason I think Courtney continually, quote, falls for it is because I think Scott was actually genuine in what he was saying. And I think every time he did something where he woke up the next morning and was just mortified at what he did or did something that he wasn't proud of or that Courtney was angry about, I think that remorse was so genuine and so there It was just the fact that every time he set out to be a better version of himself, he was so serious about it. And then he was never able to like bring it to fruition. Right. And I think that he became kind of like increasingly frustrated with himself. And it was just, I don't know, something was different in this episode, which we will get to as the scenes go on. But I felt like it was one of the first times where Courtney wasn't just, you know, talking the talk, she was walking the walk. And I know that's not surprising because I think it was last time we did one of these recaps. That was the famous scene when she's, talking to him on her BlackBerry. And she says, I love Mason more than I love you. And I feel like that same sentiment really carried its way through, you know, these entire two episodes. 
Right. Definitely. Okay. So he goes to therapy, which was part of their agreement. And he wasn't like kicking and screaming. I actually felt like he was almost welcoming the idea of having an objective, non-familial person to talk to. I think he was totally, totally into the idea of therapy. I don't feel at all like this was a forced thing. And I think that actually had Courtney set all of the same parameters for him, but not mentioned therapy, I think he would have gotten there on his own too. I think so too. And also when you look at all of Scott's issues in the past or things that he's had to overcome and may still have to overcome, I don't think that I would say processing or communicating his emotions was necessarily one of the biggest points that he had to work on. It was more so the self-destructiveness of some of his behavior. And obviously he had some issues with addiction, but if I actually was comparing the two, in a way, I sometimes feel that he was able to communicate his emotions in a way that was easier to understand than Courtney. What do you think about that? I was actually going to say, I think that one of the things that Scott had to figure out for himself the most was how to deal with the fact that Courtney wasn't able to express those emotions. Right. But like for somebody who is, I don't want to say being forced to go to therapy, but I mean, kind of being forced or given like somewhat of an ultimatum. One, if you're really opposed to it, that's obviously going to make the process harder. He wasn't, he was very willing. But also, even if you go into it with an open mind, if you're not somebody who naturally kind of can express yourself or can emote without feeling fear of judgment, like it's just going to be a naturally harder process. You'll get through it and it'll be so rewarding. But in the beginning, it's going to be harder to get started. Whereas he sits down with this therapist and he has no problem basically like pouring his heart out. Oh, absolutely. I so agree. Okay. So he's talking to this therapist and one of the questions that he asked him was, did you feel lonely in the moment when you punched the mirror? And he says in the morning was when he really felt lonely because obviously he was alone and he came to terms with what had happened. But in the moment he was like, I just felt pure rage. And he says, quote, what does my life come to that my family won't even be with me because they're so scared of what I'm capable of doing? Now it just sucks because I don't want to drink or do anything, but I'm lonely and I'm at home and I hate it over here. I don't want to be here. It's like, what's the point? It sucks. And, you know, the therapist is supportive. It basically says like, you have to show people that you're capable of actually changing and then making the change. Like, I, I kind of felt like without saying the therapist was like, your words and your charm aren't going to get you through as they have thus far. Scott's behavior was so cyclical in the sense of he would, he always ended up in the same situation where he would do something wrong and he would feel that remorse and then he would set out to better himself and then it wouldn't work in the way he wanted or at the speed he wanted or he would feel so bad about the fact that he even had to do it in the first place that he would end up right back in that situation of like self-loathing and then putting himself in a bad situation again. And it was only very recently that he was able to break that cycle and be like, if I did something bad that I need to work on myself and then actually better himself without going back to point A. It is recent. And honestly, there's so much there. I was going to make a whole point about how kind of like the separation from Courtney in a way could have potentially been one of the reasons for that happening, you know? Totally. And I think one of the reasons you feel that way is because at all of these points, it was like he was working towards getting better for Courtney, not necessarily for himself. So once that ultimate thing of like the person I have to get better for is gone now, all he was left to get better for was himself. And that was like the truest, most genuine form of bettering yourself. Exactly. I have to tell you, and I know we obviously speak about this all the time, but I feel like we actually haven't spoken about it in probably a month. I feel now like when I see Scott 
and I see Courtney or Courtney with Travis, I've gone to a point in my mind that I never thought I would, where I view them as completely separate entities. Like no longer do I view Scott through the lens of Courtney and no longer do I view Courtney through the lens of Scott. And I feel like for so long, we were rooting for them to be together. And I genuinely think there was a chance they could have stayed together. They could have gotten married and they would have had a fine life. Like it wouldn't have been terrible. They wouldn't have necessarily gotten a divorce, but God, when you see the alternative, like this is Courtney thriving in a way that we've never seen. And I'm telling you, give it a year, two years, three years. Scott is going to get there too. He's not going to do it in as public of a way necessarily, but I truly think he's going to find someone that fulfills him in the way that Travis fulfills Courtney. I think I'll feel that way when Scott finds that. It's so hard for me to separate them because when I think of Scott, it makes me so sad. And not that Courtney should have to sacrifice her life or her love and what she's going through for the sake of making Scott happy. It's just I'll be able to fully separate them once I know that Scott's found that as well. Because to me, it's like, you know a quote I always think of? In like one of the last episodes of the season when Chloe's making that video and she asks Scott who his best friend is and he says, Courtney, even though she's not very nice to me, like that is always the permanent view I'll have of Scott in the sense of like, he'll always be chasing something and he was never going to get it. And I just feel like that's the path that he's on still. Oh my God. I completely forgot about that scene until you just said it. That is heartbreaking. I always, always think about that. I completely forgot about that until you just said it. That was so sad. Yeah. I mean, I want to clarify though, because I don't want it to sound like a person can't, and not even sound like it. Like I genuinely believe this. So I want to make it clear. Like I don't at all hold the belief that a person can achieve that like top level of happiness and unless they're with a partner. I don't feel that way. I think you can totally be as happy as Courtney is and be single. I'm just saying the specific type of fulfillment that she receives from Travis, I do think that Scott will receive from someone. Again, not the same way. Their love languages are different and what they need is different. And I can't imagine he will be as PDA heavy with anybody as she is with Travis. But like, I think he's going to find that. I, I wait, hope so. I want to clarify. I think what he's going to find is like, unconditional acceptance because that's how I feel Courtney feels about Travis. And when he starts, you know, what else it is, but you can't be ignored. is like when he starts looking for that in the right girl, that's when he'll find or the right woman, I should actually say. Mm-hmm. Right. That's, I mean, God, it's like, how are there so many conversations from one fucking family? It's, it's really crazy because I'm sitting here and I'm analyzing him And I know I'm right. That's the thing. That's what's crazy about it is like, I know that I'm 100% right. Both of us are in our analysis of him. I've never met this man. (laughs) Ever. Ever. Like, it's when Isma and I were recording the Bravo episode earlier today, we were talking about, like, we got an inbox on Bravo of somebody who was watching Housewives of Orange County from the first season. And they sent us Slade Smiley, who was like a season one husband. And they were like, oh my God, you know, we totally forgot about this, how hot he is here. And it wasn't just like a looks thing, you know, in general, his entire like life has changed since then. And I said it to Isabel on the podcast, I think we kept it in. And she was like, it's so crazy because we've never met this man in our entire lives, never even seen him in person. However, like we can explain to you in the most exact detail, all of the reasons that our attraction has either gone down or gone up th- about him over the years, not because of his looks, because of his different specific life choices with business, with women, with like, that's so fucked up. 
No, it's it's insane. But also, like, when you look at this specific episode, let's say, of Kardashians, like, you are literally sitting in a real therapy session with Scott. Like, that is not – that is a level of intimacy that you would never get with anybody else. Nobody in your life, aside from if you're invited in or if you're doing it together, is going to ha- allow you to be a witness to their therapy. And what you're getting with Scott here is like multiple scenes over the years where you've been witness to that. So you're getting like the most intimate look at a person that you could ever get. It And to top that point off, what we always say is the reason that it feels even like bigger, not cooler necessarily, but the reason that it feels even more magnified is because he's also this fucking famous. Like, yeah, I've been in therapy sessions with other reality stars, but not reality stars that I would consider like this level of fame. Or this level of change over the years. Like this is one of the prime examples of like people can change. And I believe that Scott's exhibited more change than probably anybody we've watched on TV. And so to watch all of these starting points and to watch him really divulge this information, it's like, especially when you're watching it back, it's like, you know exactly where he's headed. You know exactly where the ups and downs are. You know exactly what the lowest points of his life are. Like that is a level of intimacy that goes beyond probably any other character on television. Because even with the rest of the family, except for Chloe, I feel like with Chloe, we have that same level of intimacy. But with the rest of the family, there was always something that they kind of kept hidden. Like with Kim, there was a lot of things that she divulged, but a lot of things that were personal and she didn't, you know, tell us about a lot of things with her divorce, a lot of things with Kanye, like with Courtney, most of her life was kept private. Chris was really the role of the momager. Kylie and Kendall, you haven't seen them really on the show in that capacity in years and years and years. So with Scott and Chloe, it was just a whole other level. Totally. And also, you know, Rob is somebody that we know went through personal struggles, but we didn't see it play out in that same way at all. And I do think, honestly, it wouldn't be lost on me ever, like the level of vulnerability that Scott has shown over the years. However, when you put it in contrast with the rest of the family, and I'm talking like Kylie or Rob, and that's totally their choice. Like, it just goes to show you how differently it could have gone because Scott didn't need to sit in a therapy session for the show to be successful, but it definitely helped. I think that's also one of the major reasons that you root for him so much. And not everybody does, but a lot of people do. And despite all of his shortcomings and all of the things he's done wrong over the years, which you've literally been witness to, you've also watched this person like continually try to better himself. And even if it only comes after doing something wrong, you're still watching him do that. And I think it's really hard to not root for somebody who genuinely wants to better themselves. And then as you're watching now has really done the work to do that. Exactly. And what an honor to witness, no? I know. I just want to light some Hanukkah candles with him. (laughs) I know. Hey, we lit them together last night. How cute was that? That was so cute. And then the first night of Hanukkah, me and my dad and my cousin, we were so high. We (laughs) FaceTimed Julie. We were like, what side do we put them on? And then we lit them together over FaceTime. Me and my family lit them together on FaceTime every night when I'm not home with my grandparents. That's so cute. That's so cute. Okay, let's take a break and then come back with Kendall and Kylie. So I know we're all kind of operating at a different skill level when it comes to makeup. Like I have some friends who they do their makeup and it looks like they got it professionally done. I have others who know nothing about any products. And then I would say I'm somewhere in the middle, like by no means am I very skilled, but I think I can hold my own. And in terms of my everyday, I'm just doing mascara, lip gloss, and maybe a little bit of highlighter on my inner corner. 
So if I'm only using a few products, I need them to be excellent. And I've recently been very into the Thrive Cosmetics Mascara, which I'll tell you about in a second, but just in general, a note on the company. For every product purchase, Thrive Cosmetics donates products and funds to help communities thrive, which I just love knowing that I'm buying from a company that does that. And in terms of their mascara, so it's the Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara. You guys have seen that. It's the viral turquoise tube. I've saw it all over social media before I ever started using it. And it's a unique formula that creates tubes around each eyelash to lengthen them. It's also super easy to remove. So it slides right off with warm water. It doesn't leave smudges. And the ingredients are really nourishing. So they support longer, stronger, and healthier looking lashes over time. It really just gets the job done. Like you will see what I mean when you try it. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash CBC. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash CBC for 10% off your first order. I don't know why I said Kendall and Kylie because they have such a minimal role in this, but basically Kendall, Kylie, and one of their friends comes down to Miami with Chris. And, you know, Chris arrives and they're kind of all just hanging out and her and Courtney go up separately to the roof and she's kind of probing Courtney and Courtney's like, listen, I know, you know, everything I know Kim filled you in. Like, I don't want to sit here and talk about it. And she's basically saying, you don't want to have this conversation because you don't want to hear me say, I told you so. No one has ever been more wrong than Chris has been in an episode. More wrong. Yes. But in this particular moment, that's exactly why Courtney didn't want to have the conversation. No, that's exactly what I'm saying. Like she's spot on with what she's saying to Courtney. It's just, she came in this episode guns a blazing and was just handled everything in the worst possible way. She basically says to Courtney, direct quote, I didn't fly across the country just to check on Scott Courtney, but yeah, I'm worried. Any mother would be worried sick about what's going on here. It's somebody who's got a problem who needs help. Maybe it's not in Mason's best interest or your best interest for you to keep putting yourself in this very toxic situation. And she's saying back to Chris, like, I haven't seen him. Like basically Chris was coming down like a bat out of hell with all of these statements that weren't necessarily false or inaccurate or completely wrong, but she just had no like tact in the way she was doing it because Courtney actually had taken a step to remove herself. And like the last thing you need when you're trying already to do something that's hard for you is somebody to approach it with like not an ounce of gentleness. I feel like what happened was Chris was getting all of her information from Kim. Courtney hadn't really updated her on anything. So I think because Chris had such little information, what happened was that Chris really like prepped herself for what she was going to do when she got down to Miami. Like spent the whole flight from LA to Miami being like, here's exactly how I'm going to handle this. Here's exactly what I'm going to say to Courtney. And she got there and Courtney was already handling things, but Chris couldn't veer course and had to like give her the spiel that she had practiced on the way there. Which honestly, how many people have been in that exact situation? Not with this circumstance, but like, think about you have a phone call with someone and you have plans in your head exactly what you want to say. And then you go to have the conversation and they like put up absolutely no fight. And it's like not at all confrontational. There's no conflict, but you had so many points that you wanted to get out. Obviously this is a unique circumstance, but the general idea of what you're talking about, I feel like is very common. Right. So in a minute, Chris goes to Scott's hotel, which we'll talk about. But one mini scene that happens in between is she's having the conversation with Chloe. And Chloe basically says to her, like, you have to give Courtney a little bit more credit because she has been significantly stronger since Mason's been born. And I was so happy to see Chloe say that because she also was so fucking hard on Courtney that 
all of a sudden now someone comes in who's harder on Courtney than she is. And that could have been really bad. Like she could have gotten right on board with Chris. And I felt like she was taking the role that I didn't expect her to take of like almost reeling Chris in for a second. Did you kind of feel that way? Oh, I totally did. And that's one of the things that we were talking about last episode where Kim really nailed that role of like exactly what Courtney needed and exactly how to handle it. And we were kind of saying like, it's a great thing that Chloe wasn't here in this circumstance because she would have actually done the opposite and driven Courtney to Scott instead of away from. Mm -hmm. And so to see Chloe come back and really handle things in the way that Courtney needed the most and really understanding the way that Courtney operates was like so refreshing. It was so refreshing. I felt like I was watching her evolution. Right. And the only reason really she was able to act like that is because Chris was there in contrast. And I feel like she was only able to act a certain way when she was able to see how wrong Chris was being. It kind of was like the how it started, how it's going meme. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. So Chris comes up to Scott's hotel. And like I said, a bat out of fucking hell. She is not playing any games, but not in a good way. Like maybe people disagree with this because I understand it was very maternal and she really was looking out for Courtney, but I still think that there's a way to handle this. It's a little bit more gentle. She just goes up to that hotel room. She basically hands him a couple different pamphlets from various, you know, rehab centers that she thinks could be helpful for him. And she kind of just says like, I do not want you anywhere near my family until you get your act together, which isn't necessarily wrong, but it was just really abrasive for somebody who already had that delivered to him a few days earlier. Right. Like Scott was, listen, I agree with the sentiment that Chris had that maybe the best place for Scott would be somewhere that was a way where he could really focus on and really get the help he needed. But it wasn't like he wasn't doing anything. And Chris walked into that room as if Scott was refusing any sort of help and refusing any sort of betterment. And so it was just such a strange situation. And I think that's also one of the reasons where you're like, wow, sometimes I really do root for Scott because like you saw the contrast of the way he was treated versus how you probably would have handled that situation or how you would have liked to see that situation handled. And you're like, great. Like I didn't want to feel bad for him, but like now I'm looking at how he's being treated and I'm back at that point again. Yeah. And again, like I can imagine if you're in Chris's shoes and you're daughter, this is the first grandchild ever. So your oldest daughter has their first child. You obviously love them both more than anything. And the father of this child punches the mirror. There's blood everywhere. He, you know, is to the point of really instilling fear in her. Like, I get it. You are fucking pissed. She had every right to be. I just, the point that you made that I so agree with is she was acting like she was talking to somebody who was refusing the help. And the difference is that he wasn't refusing it. And so she was like, a day late. You know what I mean? Like if she had this conversation with him two days ago before Courtney ever did, that's one thing, but he already basically agreed to Courtney. So I don't know. It just, whatever. All is well that ends well. It wasn't ideal. Right. Luckily (laughs) you're right. All is well that ends well because everything ended up where it needs to be, which is the comfort in watching these episodes back. Because I think that probably the first time I watched this, if I felt the same way about Scott. Now, as I did then, it would have been impossible to watch. Now it's like, okay, I can watch this. I can be upset with how a situation's handled, but I know it's going to be okay in the end. I know. And that is such a comforting feeling, isn't it? It it is beyond so. Also, I'm looking at the outline for the next scene 
And it's Scott saying, your mother knocks on my door like a bat out of hell. And I'm just saying like, hey, I just said that. I was going to say to you, I know where you got that phrase from for today. I guess I to- that was totally subconscious. Although I feel like I do say that in my daily life. I've never heard you say that before. No, I, I do say it all the time. You must have been talking to your other friend. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm just saying because it wasn't me. <laughs> Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists. Like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, New Kids on the Block, Sean Paul, Sum 41, Whitney Cummings, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. So Scott calls Courtney and is basically saying, you know, what the fuck just happened? And she has no idea that Chris just did that. And his understanding or like his assumption was that Courtney was the one that told Chris to go there, which was interesting because... It's not that that's off brand. Like I can understand why he would have thought that, but Courtney was actually more on his side than he probably anticipated. Yeah. I mean, Courtney had a similar thing as to what I was just saying with Chloe, where like as soon as somebody else came in acting a way that she didn't want, she was able to take the reverse of that, even though it was how she would have acted in the first place. But I think that if Scott knows Courtney well enough, he should have known that she would have never sent Chris there. It's not her vibe. Like maybe one of the other ones of them. Actually, I don't even really think anyone would have, but if it were to be somebody, it would not have been Courtney. Yeah. Okay. So this is when Courtney is really upset and she's telling Chloe, and I want to read this quote verbatim. She says, I'm so pissed that my mom did this. This is in her confessional. Scott has had to admit he has a problem, which is very hard to do. I'm not letting him see me or Mason, which is hard in and of itself. I'm not going to avoid Scott because he's Mason's father, but I definitely don't need my mom butting in and making him feel any worse than he already does, which is exactly what we were saying. I think the biggest difference between Chris and Courtney in this situation is that Courtney was able to view this as Scott has a problem and he needs help. Whereas Chris was solely looking at this as like, you have a defect in your personality I think in Chris's mind, there was no changing Scott because I think this is who she viewed Scott as as a person where Courtney was able to see, like, I know who Scott is and every so often he does something and he needs help for those every so often times, whereas Chris was like, the every so often times are his main personality. Right, exactly. It was, she just had, which, you know, in her defense, like, after a certain amount of times that somebody behaves in a certain way, I understand the lines blurring between their behavior and then who they are. But I think that Courtney just had a little bit more advanced understanding of alcoholism or drug abuse or you know addiction in general. Not that she was using those terms necessarily, but I do think when you look at it, I can almost take a step back. Her understanding was definitely a little bit more well-rounded than Chris's, which was just straight on the attack and, you know, admitting that there was a problem, but not having any compassion in solving it. Right, exactly. So Courtney then confronts Chris. They're laying out by the pool and she kind of loses it on Chris. And Chris is like, I felt like I had to say something to him. 
And she says, I'm a mother now and I know how to handle my family. And Chris says, then what the hell is he still doing in Miami? Why is he hanging around Miami instead of going off to get some help? That's what I told him. And they just have this kind of back and forth where it ends with Courtney saying, who are you to decide how Scott deals with his problem? Do you wish Mason was never born? And, you know, obviously Chris says, of course not, but it was a very kind of heated exchange. Courtney really threw that in her face. And I didn't think that was fair. It wasn't fair at all. And I think in retrospect, she would have taken it back. But I think in addition to being upset that Chris was butting in, I think that she felt like Chris was undermining her parenting abilities because she says to her, I'm just trying to be a good mom. And Chris responds, well, so am I. You know, like that's a very complex situation there. It was an extremely complex dynamic because Chris only saw it as helping, whereas not only did Courtney see it as undermining like her authority as a parent or her ability as a parent, I think Courtney also saw it as undermining Courtney herself and what she was capable of. And that was what really hit Courtney hard was like, it's not just that you want to step in and be a good mom. It's that you don't think I'm capable of doing this for my son or myself. Right. And let's not forget that Courtney, out of all of them, probably has always harbored the most resentment towards Chris for what she thought were, you know, parenting or marital failures. And so I think it hits harder once you consider that. Right. I sometimes think when we're doing these episodes and we're like so deep in on like a one minute scene from an episode from 2010, like I cannot believe there are people in this world that have these same conversations, but about like NFTs, you know, like I genuinely feel like I could teach a graduate level course on the Kardashians. And there are some people that would sit in that class, the smartest people you've ever met that could talk about things that you and I have no idea, but this to them would be like otherworldly. Meanwhile, you try to tell me that an NFT isn't just a screenshot and you've lost me already. We cannot even go past point go. I, I don't get me started on NFTs. I won't. I'm actually going to go so far as to put an ad break here to make sure that doesn't happen. Apartments.com believes the dishwasher does more than just clean plates. It turns your whole place into a time machine by turning the time you would have spent washing dishes into extra time for you. That could mean more time to read, more time to knit, or more time to contemplate the vastness of time itself. With Apartments.com, finding somewhere to live with an elusive dishwashing slash time-expanding device is easy. And listen, we all have our non-negotiables in terms of what we really want when looking for an apartment. I know for me, natural light has always been really important. I just know myself and I am a happier person when I have that natural light throughout the day. And I also told myself that in my next place, I will definitely have a washer and dryer because you just can't beat that convenience. And I know it can be hard to find, but when you find it, I think it is so worth it. Apartments.com hosts the most rental listings with over 1 million available units. And with comprehensive search tools and instant alerts, you never have to worry about missing out on the perfect place. To find whatever you're searching for and more, visit Apartments.com, the place to find a place. So the next two things that really happen are there's this one scene where Chloe's talking to Chris and she basically makes her promise that she's not going to meddle in her kids' relationships. And then the final one is Chris kind of apologizing to Courtney, which it was important that this particular episode ended on that note because the way that I felt was like Courtney already had enough shit to deal with that this unforeseen 
fight with Chris that actually was a lot deeper than just the surface level of like, like we just said, the potential undermining of her parenting was not something else she could realistically have on her plate. It wasn't something else I could have on my plate. Me too. I mean, it was just a lot for everybody involved. I get really stressed when they fight with Chris. It's the worst. Because like on one hand, I'm like, Chris, you're wrong. But on the other hand, I'm like, stop talking to your mom like that. There were some times, I mean, we've spoken about this, but there were some times when they were really mean to her. (laughs) What's so funny, and this was like a TikTok that I'm sure you saw all over the place, was when Chris was on Ellen, Ellen asked her one of the questions of like, what is the meanest thing your kid has said to you or your kid's ever mean to? Something like that. And Chris is like, no, my kids have never, like they've never said anything that was mean to me. And everyone is like, uh, and they stitch it with like all the time that they've been just like awful to her. Yeah. It's like, were you not in the Calabasas house when Chloe said that your wedding dress to Robert was the ugliest fucking thing she's ever seen? Right. Like, I'm so appreciative of the fact that Chris is able to have selective memory at this point in her life. It's all I want, honestly. I don't need her to remember all of those very dark moments. I know. So this next episode, which is the finale, is really centered around the fact that this is Courtney and Chloe's last week. They're getting ready to go back. And Chloe's obviously, you know, kind of fearful that Courtney's going to feel compelled to stay in Miami. And so they're having a whole back and forth. And, you know, keep in mind at this point, she hasn't really seen Scott. She's trying to distance herself while still being supportive. And he basically calls her and says, my therapist would find it really beneficial if you come in. And so because she feels like that was advice by a professional, she's willing to come in and they go to therapy together. And how would you rate this therapeutic experience? Listen, I'm not going to give it a 10, but I think that it really got the ball rolling and I'm going to give it a seven. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I mean, after the actual session is when she kind of loses it because when Scott's not there, she feels like she can break down. I think she wanted to be kind of like quote strong for him. And then even when they're talking in the parking lot after you can tell that she's going through it. And I think she was really putting on a brave face. I think that when she was in the therapy session, what they were focused on was like, what are the ways in which she can help Scott? Because it wasn't her therapy session. It was really centered around him and him getting better and him improving and what that means for them. And so I think once she was out of the therapy session, she was able to be like, okay, we just spent the last hour talking about like, how do I help you? How do I help you without enabling you? Like, what about me? And I think that's when that really hit her. Right. It was like almost permission for her to consider her own reality. Right. Yeah. Anyway, so they have this conversation and a little bit later on, she ends up going to his hotel and her and Chloe had had this conversation where she said, you know what? why don't you give him a list of like the five non-negotiables or the five things that he really needs to change the most? So Courtney goes over to his hotel and in the process of having this conversation, he kind of like loses the plot because she makes a comment about him. I don't know if you want to say being more self-sufficient, but paying some of the bills himself and whatever she was putting down, which she framed as something that was really important to her. I think he was feeling both emasculated and also kind of like, infantilized in a way. Yeah, I think that's definitely what it was. Because I think what happened was she started off by bringing up something that he didn't think was a problem. Like it was almost like she was giving him a task just to test him and not to actually improve things. The thing that she had brought up was him paying bills himself rather than like having somebody do it for him. It wasn't that he wasn't supporting them financially. It was that like she wanted to see him accomplish this task. And I think for him, it was 
when have I ever not supported you? When do I ever not pay for anything for you? Like, how are you going to then take this a step further and make me do something just to prove myself with something that I feel like isn't the thing that I need to be focused on? And I think that once she picked something that he didn't even think was a problem in the first place and started adding on to what already in his head he had going on, he was like, I, I can't do this. There's too many things now. Yeah, which I got to be honest with you, like nobody can tell anybody else what their trigger should be. Like if this is something that's important to Courtney, that's it. You know, there's nothing else that you can say to validate or invalidate that. I will say I was surprised that she kind of led with that because it felt like it was the least strong of all of her arguments because it was the thing that was giving her the least tangible negative results. You know what I mean? It was almost like she picked something just to see how he would react. Like it was almost like she picked something that she maybe knew that he wouldn't, not that he would respond so negatively because I think the way in which he got so upset by her bringing this up was not what she was expecting. But I think she almost wanted to bring up the thing that wasn't the most logical or the most present just to hear him say like, yes, whatever you need, I will do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, you know, basically she leaves and on their last day when they have an hour left, he calls and he wants to come over to have a conversation. So he comes over to her apartment and they have this very emotional conversation where, you know, she stands firm in the fact that she's leaving to go back to LA, but he's saying goodbye to Mason and he's crying, holding Mason. And I like, I cried watching this. It was the first time when I, I don't want to say when I felt like his pain was genuine, because I do think that his pain has been genuine, but it was just so raw because it was a new kind of pain. Like he's used to losing Courtney here and there. He's never had to deal with like quote, losing a child. And I know that's a little bit of a dramatic term for what was going on here, but he was basically being separated from his kid for a temporary amount of time because he needed to work on himself. And I wasn't like bawling, but I shed a few tears watching this. It was really emotional also because Scott was told to stay away and he stayed away. And then I think once he was able to see Mason and the idea of like, okay, and now I'm taking him again. And like, now you have to stay away again. That was the one thing that I think he really grasped was like, in order to get this back, I know that like those boundaries that are set, I have to at least keep. And that's like the bare minimum what I can do. But I think at the same time, he was like, you know, it's one thing that I can't go near Courtney. The fact that my son is an infant and I can't explain why I'm not there for him. I think that was really hard and really, really genuine. Right. And also going back to our earlier conversation, like the one thing that has helped Scott get out of most situations is his charisma. And not only was his charisma not working on Courtney, like it factually could not work on Mason. You know what I mean? Like not that that would have ever impacted whether or not he could see Mason. Like clearly Mason was not making the decision, but I'm saying it wasn't even like he had the ability to communicate to Mason how sorry he was in a way that was at all loving or charming. Like this kid is literally a newborn. And I really do think that that was so hard for him because he survives in a certain way on like the ability to explain himself. Right. And the other thing was when he first got to the hotel and he saw Mason for the first time, it like kind of hit him how big Mason had gotten since he had last seen him, even though it had probably only been a couple of weeks. But I think that for Scott as somebody who was a father for the first time, I think he didn't realize like how much infants specifically grow and change in such a short period of time. And I think it hit him how much he was really missing and that he didn't want to be missing. Mm-hmm. I, I totally agree. All's well that ends well. But that being said, this was a little bit hard to get through. It was hard to get through, but like I said in the beginning, 
seeing him light some Hanukkah candles with his three kids helped me get through it. Yeah, you and me both. Okay, well, we love you guys so much. Thank you for listening. Thank you for letting us do this. And see you next week. I can't wait. So I'm a big fan of transparency across all aspects of life. Like generally speaking, there's pretty much nothing I wouldn't rather be told straight up. But specifically when I'm buying something or paying for a service, I just want to know what I'm getting myself into. And oftentimes there can be so much nonsense or so much yada yada. For example, sneaky terms hidden in the fine print of contracts or bills that randomly go up without properly alerting you or budget airlines with cheap fares, but then exorbitant fees to make up for it elsewhere. And we just should not need to be dealing with this type of yada yada in our lives. And yes, you could read every single word of every single contract and that's one way of avoiding it. Or you can go with a trusted brand like Metro by T-Mobile that helps you to get ahead and not pull you back. That's right. You don't take yada yada from life. So don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and not a yada yada, which honestly gives so much peace of mind. Like you shouldn't have to compromise for an okay option with sacrifices when you really deserve that full transparency. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide.